Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor and Joe as they face an old enemy along with a new one from the depths in The Sea Devils. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so to join the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now, though, Paddington, I will hand over to you for our story recap, please. Aye, aye, Skipper. That's a nautical <laughs> term, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently. I'm down with the lingo. <laughs> uh, episode one. Out at sea, a crew member of the SS Pevensey Castle sends a distress call saying that they are being attacked. The call is picked up by a nearby naval base, but before he can give any information, a scaled hand takes the radio from him and its owner attacks him. The following morning, the Doctor and Joe are being ferried to a small island off the coast, which is home to an old fortress that has been turned into a prison, in which the Master is currently being held. They arrive at the jetty and are escorted to a waiting vehicle by the ferryman, who tells them that he will return for them in a few hours. They are brought to the office of Colonel Trenchard, who is the warden of the prison, who tells them that they are late and that he thought that they might be the latest victim in a slew of recent ship disappearances. Trenchard informs them that the Master has been a model prisoner and has given them no trouble. He informs the sceptical dude that all the prison guards are immune to hypnotism and proves it by sending the newest guard in to see the master whilst they watch through a view screen. The master tries to bend the guard to his will but it doesn't work, frustrating the imprisoned time lord. Trenchard then takes them down to see the master who seems to be very happy to see them. Trenchard leaves them to speak alone and the doctor and Joe are taken aback by the master's friendly demeanour. He says that he is completely reformed but he still refuses to tell the doctor the location of his TARDIS. The Doctor says it is time to leave and shares a friendly goodbye with his old foe, who begins to laugh sinisterly after they leave. Joe comments on the fact that the Doctor seems to... Joe comments on the fact that the Doctor seems to be sorry for the Master, and was worried about his well-being. The Doctor reveals that before he left his own planet, he and the Master used to be very good friends. Trenchard then arrives and says he needs them to sign out and asks for their identity cards, like he did when they first arrived. The Doctor comments on the overzealous security precautions, but Trenchard says it's all part of the protocol. He then escorts them to their vehicle to bring them back to the jetty, and once they are gone, he goes to the master's cell, saying that their ruse worked. The master says that they shouldn't underestimate the doctor, as he was probably there to investigate the missing ships rather than just to see him. Trenchard reveals that he didn't know anything about it until he first mentioned it to him, which annoys the master, but he doesn't dwell on it. He then sends Trenchard away to get him the charts from the Admiralty that he asked for, as well as another coloured television set for his cell. Down at the jetty, the fireman gives the doctor more information about the missing ships as he is part of the lifeboat crew in the area and he says that the details are being kept under wraps by the local naval base, which is also a research facility. The doctor asks him to bring them to the naval base, but he says that he was only paid to bring them to the prison and back. The doctor then bribes him for his boat and tells him to go find Joe, who has gone to look at the local village. The ferryman, amused by the doctor's reason for not going to find her himself due to a bad leg wound caused by famous British battles like the Crimea and El Alamein, takes the bribe and the doctor takes off in the boat for the naval base. At the naval base, the commander, Captain Hart, is dictating a letter to the Admiralty saying that they have been unable to discover the reason for the sinkings and that the charred remains of a recovered lifeboat have been sent for analysis. He then looks out his office window and sees the doctor arriving. He calls through to the Master at Arms to have him apprehended, and his secretary, Blythe, alerts him that the Doctor is going to examine the damaged lifeboat which was left on the shoreline behind the base gates. He doesn't get too long to look at it as the Master at Arms and a squad of guards apprehend him, but he very casually asks to see their commanding officer. Meanwhile, 
Joe gives the ferryman some money for his motorbike so she can use it to try and find the doctor. In his cell, the master is watching an episode of The Clangers and is deeply engrossed in it, thinking that they are real, but becomes disheartened when Trenchard arrives and says that they are only puppets. Trenchard gives him the chart that he wanted and he begins to mark it, congratulating Trenchard on his efficiency as he does so. He reveals that he is triangulating the source of the sinkings and he discovers an abandoned sea fort in the centre of the area where they occurred. Trenchard informs him that it is actually being converted into a new sonar testing facility. At the sea fort, two of the maintenance workers, Hickman and Clark, are playing cards to pass the time. Hickman voices his unease that even though they are alone in the fort, he constantly feels like they are being watched. Clark, thinking that Hickman's mood is due to his losing streak, changes the game to drafts, but Hickman says that he hears someone upstairs and goes to investigate. Moments later, Clark hears his anguished scream and goes to find out what happened. He sees Hickman's dead body on the floor and sees something moving in the shadows. At the naval base, Hart asks the doctor why he didn't arrange for an official visit through UN channels, and the doctor says that he only came due to the recent discovery of the sinkings. He discusses the scorching on the lifeboat and says that it came from a focused heat beam, and whoever fired it did so to ensure that there would be no survivors. The doctor then notices a map on the board showing the locations of the sinking. Suddenly a phone call comes through saying Joe's at the gate. Joe comes up to Hart's office and shows her and the doctor's ID cards, but he says that they can leave. However, the doctor asks to be taken to the sea fort in order to try and find out the source of the attacks, but Hart tells him instead to go back to unit and put the request through official channels. The doctor leaves, saying that his old friend Lord Nelson would not have waited for official permission, which makes Hart believe that he is mad. The doctor and Joe arrive at the sea fort using the ferryman's boat and go inside to investigate it. After they go inside, a scaled hand emerges from beneath the water and the boat begins to burn. Inside, they are unable to find any sign of Hickman and Clark, and Joe says that they should leave as it is getting dark. Suddenly, they hear an explosion from outside and rush to a nearby window to see debris from the destroyed boat. The doctor says that they should find the radio room to send for help, and after they leave, a large, bipedal, turtle-like creature emerges from the shadows to watch them. Upstairs, the duo find Hickman's body, and Joe says that she can hear something coming towards them. Episode 2 a deranged Clark appears from the shadows and tries to attack them with a wrench, but he is easily disarmed by the Doctor. He rambles that a sea devil killed Clark, and the Doctor gets Joe to help him carry it to the radio room. As they go, they are observed by the creature. In the radio room, Clark is placed on a bed, and he tells him that the creature took the radio away. The Doctor asks him if there are any transistor radios as he tends to him, and Clark says that there are a few in the crew quarters. The Doctor explains to a confused Joe that he can convert the radios into a rudimentary walkie-talkie and he leaves her to look after Clark whilst he goes to the crew quarters. As he makes his way through the fort, the doctor comes face to face with one of the creatures and tries to parlay with it. However, the creature produces a small handheld dish that fires a beam of heat at the doctor but narrowly misses him. The doctor runs back towards the radio room with the creature following after him. The doctor barricades the door to the room and then connects a live wire to the door to prevent the creature, which he alludes to having encountered before, getting into the room. They watch in shock as a section of the door burns away and the doctor activates the live wire as the creature sticks his arm through it, causing it to roar in pain. They hurry after it as it flees when it dives back into the ocean. They go back to the radio room and the doctor starts converting the radio, having a bit more difficulty than he initially thought. Joe asks him about his mention of encountering a similar creature and he tells her that the creature reminded him of the Silurians. He points out that they have been misnamed by the person who discovered them as they came from a different period in time and he says their actual species name is Eocenes and he believes that they have a colony under the sea near the fort. Joe asks why they are acting so hostile and the doctor says they believe themselves to be the rightful owners of the planet. 
The doctor manages to get the converter radio working, and he manages to contact an air-sea rescue helicopter that had been dispatched by Hart to search the area when they were reported missing. The helicopter brings them and the wounded Clark back to the naval base. Clark is sent to the sick bay whilst the doctor and Joe are brought to Hart's office. He tells them that he can't go to the Admiralty without proof of what they saw at the sea fort or until Clark is cognizant again. Back at the prison, Trenchard arrives with a naval officer's uniform for the master, who tells him to prepare to leave immediately. They arrive at the naval base a short while later, and once the coast is clear, the master leaves the car, dresses a lieutenant commander, and goes off into the base while Trenchard goes to meet Hart. In Hart's office, the doctor urges Hart to open a peaceful line of communication with the creatures, who Hart has also begun to call sea devils. He tells them that they are intelligent creatures, hoping by emphasising that, that he can prevent the same outcome that the Silurian incident had. Trenchard arrives and is surprised to see the Doctor and Joe there. He begins to talk to Hart about a golf tournament, oblivious to the exasperating expressions of everyone in the room. Meanwhile, the Master has entered the base's store warehouse and begins to collect certain items. Just as he is about to leave, he is stopped by the arrival of the Chief Petty Officer. The Master tells him that the items he collected are defective and he has been sent by the Ministry of Defence to bring them for examination. When the chief tries to call Hart to confirm his security clearance, the master tries to hypnotise him but fails, and so resorts to knocking him out. Back in his office, Hart finally manages to get Trenchard to leave and then returns back to the matter at hand. The doctor says they need to block off the area around the seafort, but Hart says that major shipping lanes pass through it and it will be nearly impossible to enforce a cordon on the area. They are interrupted by Joe, who spots the master as she is looking out of the window, and the doctor tells Hart to order security alert to the whole base. Hart starts to get frustrated with the doctor's directness, but he's stopped by Blight, who reports the discovery of the chief's body in the warehouse. However, the alert goes out moments after Trenchard Card leaves the base. The doctor and the others go to the warehouse, and the chief gives an accurate description of the master. Joe asks how he could have escaped, and the doctor says that Trenchard must be involved, as his arrival is too coincidental. The duo head back to the prison and confront Trenchard over the escape of the master. Trenchard says that it must be a case of mistaken identity, and says the master has been in his cell the whole time. He offers to go check the guards, and once he is gone, the doctor tries to call the base, but discovers the line is dead. He tells Joe to drive back to the base and to call the unit HQ about what is going on, and to demand that Trenchard and all the prison guards be immediately replaced. In the cell, the master tells Trenchard to bring the doctor to him so he can tell him what they are doing, and to convince him to keep quiet about what is going on. After Trenchard leaves, the master covers the security camera and calls in a guard, knocking him out once his back is turned when he asks to examine the air conditioner. He then takes the guard's knife and gun. Trenchard goes back to his office and insists that the doctor go see the master for himself. Before he leaves, he asks the doctor where Joe has gone, and once he is alone, he calls down to the security guards to stop her from leaving. The doctor arrives at the cell, and after a half-hearted attempt to convince him that he didn't leave, the master pulls a gun on him, but the doctor closes the cell door. The master goes after him, and the doctor manages to kick the gun out of his hand. The duo then pick up a pair of decorative fencing foils and fight. The doctor eventually bests his opponent, reminding him that he told him before that violence would never get him anywhere. The doctor turns to put the swords away, and once his back is turned, the master throws the knife at him. Episode 3 The master's aim is thrown off by the arrival of Trenchard, and the knife hits the door beside the doctor's head. Trenchard demands to know what is going on, and the master says that he was simply defending himself. Trenchard has the doctor replaced under arrest and escorted to his office. After he is gone, the master reiterates that he was defending himself and orders Trenchard to keep the doctor and Joe, who is about to be detained by the guards, prisoner whilst he carries out his plan. However, Joe, realising that something is going on, knocks the guards holding her to the ground and runs away from the prison. 
The guards take off after her. Trenchard goes back to his office and accuses the doctor of attacking the guard that the master had earlier knocked out and then rips up his unit ID card, saying he believes it to be a forgery. Trenchard refuses his request to make a phone call to unit and orders him to be taken to a cell, informing him that the guards are trained to shoot to kill. After the doctor is taken away, Trenchard receives a call informing him about Joe's escape. He goes to inform the master, who says that Joe could ruin their plans, but Trenchard assures him that she will soon be recaptured. The master says that they must move up their plans and orders Trenchard to bring the doctor to him. The doctor is brought to the cell and handcuffed to a chair, and the master then dismisses Trenchard, who leaves a guard outside. The master questions the doctor about what he told Unit and seems sceptical when the doctor says he sent a full report before they came to the prison to check on him. The master says that he could easily kill him, but the doctor reminds him that Trenchard is still technically in charge of the prison and may no longer help him if he has to explain the doctor's fate. The master says that he can leave whenever he likes and then reveals his plans to contact the Sea Devils in order to help them take over the Earth again. Back at the naval base, Hart is discussing the area around the sea fort with Commander Ridgeway, who is in command of one of the base's submarines. He tells him to investigate the area and report on anything that might prove the existence of the Sea Devils. After Ridgeway leaves, Blight voices her concern that there has been no word yet from Joe or the Doctor. Hart doesn't pay too much attention to the fact and goes to oversee the submarine's departure. When he returns, Blight says that she rang the prison and Trenchard said that they had gone back to London. She voices her scepticism when she says that they took a taxi to the pier rather than use the jeep that they borrowed from the base and ring for it to be collected, a fact which Hart also finds disconcerting. Meanwhile, on the submarine, Ridgway orders his executive officer, Lieutenant Commander Mitchell, to start a sonar sweep of the area. Back at the prison, the doctor asks the master why he wants to help the sea devils, and he says so he can see the human race exterminated, which he says, given the doctor's fondness for them, will be the only reward he asks for. A guard enters and says that Trenchard wants to see the master immediately, and he leaves, taking a device he was building with him. Trenchard informs him that Hart has arrived, and the master says he would just have to bluff him. Meanwhile, Joe has managed to sneak around to the window of the master's cell. The doctor is relieved to see she is okay and watches as she indicates him to create a diversion in five minutes' time. He nods his understanding to her and she goes to find a way in. She spots a half-open window and manages to climb through it and then makes her way carefully towards the master's cell. After the five minutes have elapsed, the doctor calls out to the guard saying that he wishes to speak to him. The guard goes in and the doctor barrages him with demands for his freedom and food and keeping the guard distracted as Joe sneaks into the room. After the guard leaves, Joe begins to pick the lock on the doctor's handcuffs. In his office, Trenchard tries to convince Hart that the doctor and Joe left suddenly and the master is secure in his cell. Hart asks to see the master for himself and Trenchard reluctantly agrees to show him the security camera which shows the master sitting in his cell reading. With everything seemingly okay, Hart leaves with Trenchard rushing him out the door. After he leaves, the master enters and Trenchard asks if the machine will be ready soon and what it's to be used for. The master says it is the same type of communication device used by the sea devils and that he intends to lure them into a trap. However, he doesn't explicitly state what they are, just that they are enemy agents. He then says that he needs to finish the machine and asks to be escorted back to his cell by a guard. At that moment, Joe manages to free the doctor, who calls the guard back in and together they incapacitate him before making their escape. The master arrives and then calls Trenchard to the cell and angrily orders him to find the duo. Meanwhile, on the submarine, the sonar technician reports multiple contacts before the vessel suddenly stops. Reports then come in from all over the sub, stating complete losses of power, leaving it dead in the water. It starts to sink and eventually reaches the ocean floor. Mitchell informs Ridgeway that all systems have been checked, but there have been no faults found in anything. 
Ridgeway then orders them to have them rechecked, but he stops when they hear a banging from outside. Suddenly, an alarm comes through saying that the forward section is under attack and the attackers are entering via the escape hatches. The Doctor and Joe rush towards the beach, but they are stopped by one of the guards who reports back to Trenchard and the Master. The Master, knowing the beach is a minefield on one stretch of it, uses the machine to contact the Sea Devils in the hopes of destroying them altogether. They rush towards the beach and watch as the Doctor and Joe climb down onto the shore using a lifeline. The Master amplifies the transmitter and the Doctor and Joe watch as a Sea Devil emerges from the waves. Episode 4 Trenchard is startled by the sight of the Sea Devil and he confronts the Master about it, who says that if he had told him the truth then Trenchard wouldn't have believed him. With one side of the beach blocked off by a squad of Trenchard's men who stare in awe at the creature, the Doctor tells Joe that he must risk going through the minefield. He throws himself down the coils of barbed wire blocking off the minefield in order to prevent Joe cutting herself. He then uses his sonic screwdriver to detect the location of the mines and the duo carefully make their way through the minefield. The Master then signals for the Sea Devil, who opened fire on Trenchard's men, killing a few of them, to go after the Doctor and Joe. Joe tells the Doctor that it is following them, and he uses his sonic screwdriver to blow up the mines at the entrance, which startles the Sea Devil and sends it fleeing back to the sea. Meanwhile, at the naval base, Hart orders an alert to be put out as they have had no word from the submarine. Inside the sub, the buoyancy valves which would allow the ship to resurface cannot be released and so Ridgway orders one of the, his divers to make for the surface and radio back to the naval base explaining what happened. Mitchell then states that the door to the command room is starting to get hot and Ridgway orders the crew to prepare to fight back. They then watch in shock as a sea devil walks through the melting door. However, the creature makes no aggressive move and instead signals for the power to be restored to the sub. Once it is back in motion, the Sea Devil indicates the Ridgeway where it and the others on board wish to be taken. Ridgeway complies, quietly telling Mitchell to play along so they can find the Sea Devil's base. Back at the prison, the Master tries to calm down the irritated Trenchard, repeating that his deception was necessary in order to get what he needed so he could defeat the Sea Devils. Trenchard says that they should call the authorities, but the Master stalls him by saying that it would be better to wait until he puts the finishing touches on his device. Trenchard then gets a report that the search parties have found no sign of the Doctor and Joe, and he worries about them reporting back to Hart, or even worse, Unit. Again, the Master asks for his trust, which he reluctantly gives. At the naval base, Hart listens to the story of the recently arrived Doctor and Joe, but he says he doesn't believe them. Joe tries to convince him by mentioning the incident at the caves years prior, but the Doctor interrupts her vague retelling and speaks directly to Hart, taking a plate of sandwiches off Bly as she enters the room. They try to convince him that Trenchard is involved in what's going on, saying that he aided the Master's theft of the equipment from the warehouse in order to build his transmitter. Blight then receives a phone call and she relays that the search for the sub has been postponed until the next day. With no other option, Hart accepts the Doctor's offer to help. Before they can say anything, a sonar operator enters the room and says that he may have found the sub. They rush to the sonar room and he shows them the contact on screen, which seems to be making its way to the prison. However, the signal is soon lost and the Doctor says that they need to investigate it urgently. Hart organises an assault party to be prepared and he leaves with the Doctor and Joe. At the prison, the Master is using his device to communicate with the Sea Devils, but stops when Trenchard comes in, again suggesting that they should contact the authorities. He starts to grow suspicious when the Master tries to rush him from the room and says that the signal coming from the transmitter is just random feedback. Trenchard rushes back to his office and tries to alert the Ministry of Defence, but is unable to be put in contact with anyone in authority. Outside, several sea devils emerge from the sea and make their way towards the castle. They kill several of the guards and sabotage the internal phone systems. However, they are unable to stop the alarm being raised. 
Trenchard makes his way to the master's cell and tells the guard outside to try and raise the ministry on the outside line in his office. He then tries to stop the sea devils entering the cell, but he is killed, allowing them to free the grateful master. The assault party from the naval base arrives with the doctor and Joe, and they discover the slaughter inside and the master's escape. The doctor says that the master used the Trenchard's own patriotic nature against him. They go back to the naval base, where they are told the sub has been tracked to the sea fort, and the doctor asks for a diving vessel to be prepared so he can investigate the area underneath it. They make their way to the diving vessel's carrier ship, and the doctor says that he will take it down, saying his experience with the Silurians would give him the advantage in dealing with the sea devils. Joe is worried about him going, but he says that he must be the one to go. Hart wishes him luck, and the diving vessel is lowered to the seabed. The radio link is suddenly severed, though, when a sea devil approaches the hatchway of the diving vessel, and Hart orders it to be brought up. He and Joe rush to the deck and see the diving vessel is empty. Episode 5 The Doctor is lowered into the Sea Devil's base in one of their own diving vessels. He is taken out and the leader of the Sea Devils echoes the statements of his land-based kindred, saying that they were once the rulers of the planet and that they went into hibernation due to the catastrophe their scientists predicted. The Doctor reveals that the catastrophe never occurred and man became the dominant species in their absence. He then says that he wants to avoid the same fate that befell the Silurians and informs the Sea Devils that they are no match for man's military technology. The leaders say that they will awaken the other colonies from their hibernation and re-establish their dominance of the planet. The Doctor asks him to try and coexist peacefully with humanity, making the same offer he did to the Silurians of allowing them to inhabit the areas that humanity could not survive in. The leader says that he will think on what he says, and the Doctor offers to go back to the naval base and act as an intermediary, but he's interrupted by the Master, who says that he is an enemy of the Sea Devils. Back at the naval base, a man named Walker, who is the Parliamentary Private Secretary, arrives and is told that Hart is currently out at sea. He asks Blythe to get him some breakfast and call Hart back. Blythe asks him why he is there, and he says the Minister of Defence has sent him to deal with the sinkings. Joe and Hart return to the base where Walker informs Hart that he is to launch a full-scale assault on the Sea Devil's base. Hart objects to this, saying that it will put the lives of the men on the sub at risk, and Joe says the same thing about the Doctor. Walker nonchalantly states that this is war and casualties are to be expected, and he mentions how the Brigadier dealt with the Silurians previously. Joe states that the Brigadier didn't risk his own men in the process, and Hart says that he can't carry out the order, but Walker says that the order has already been given and that a battle fleet is already en route to the sea fort. In the Sea Devil's base, the Doctor tells them not to trust the Master, but the leader says that he is helping them repair their hibernation module. The Doctor says that he will only lead them to war, and asks again to be given the chance to negotiate for peace. The Master brings up the outcome of the Silurian incident, and the Doctor acknowledges the fact that he failed. The leader says that he will need time to think on the arguments made by both Time Lords, as he believes the Doctor's sincerity. At that moment, the battle fleet arrives at the Sea Fort, and sends word back to the naval base that they are prepared to attack. Hart again tries to intervene, but Walker demands that he carries out his orders or he will be replaced. Reluctantly, Hart orders the attack to commence and the Sea Devil base is hit just as the leader agrees to send the Doctor back with the sub in order to set up the peace negotiations. The Master uses the attack to prove his point and the leader orders the Doctor to be taken away and killed. However, he manages to get free as a bit of debris collapses down on his guards, killing them. The leader then orders a counterattack to be launched, but the master instead suggests that he send his people to the lower levels and create the illusion that they have been defeated. He says this will give him time that he needs to finish his work. The leader agrees and has the bodies of the dead sent to the surface, which is reported back to the naval base. Hart and Joe insist that Walker call off the attack, saying that he has his victory at the cost of innocent lives, and he reluctantly agrees. 
Meanwhile, the doctor finds Ridgway and Mitchell in a holding cell and frees them with the use of a heat gun he took from one of the dead sea devils. He frees them and they head back towards the sub, which Ridgway says is in an underground harbour. They arrive at the sub and Ridgway taps in the hull in Morse code to send a message to the bridge crew. One of the officers manages to decipher it and has one of his men play sick to distract the guard before they incapacitate it. It fights them off but is killed by Ridgway against the doctor's wishes. The submarine tries to make its escape but the alarm is raised and a force field is placed around the exit in the harbour trapping them inside. The doctor suggests firing torpedoes into the cave walls to try and disrupt the field in order to escape. Mitchell says that they could end up getting trapped in the cave but the doctor says it is a risk that they need to take. The plan works and the sub makes its way back to the surface. They head back to the naval base and a delighted Joe reunites with the doctor. The doctor confronts Hart about the attack but Joe says that it wasn't him and Hart reveals that it was Walker who ordered it. Walker defends the attack by saying that it was his duty to his country but the doctor counters his nationalistic views by saying that he was trying to negotiate a peace for the world. The doctor then reveals that the attack failed and only served to anger the sea devils. Walker says he will call the minister to get approval for a nuclear attack and the doctor objects saying they would be murder. Walker says that they aren't human and humanity itself can't give in to the demands of lizards. The doctor changes tactics and tries to inflate Walker's ego by saying that he would make a great name for himself by helping create a peace between the two races. Walker thinks on this and the doctor says that he will open the talks himself. Joe and Hart object saying it's too dangerous but the doctor says that he must go by himself as a gesture of good faith. At that moment, a raiding party of sea devils infiltrates the base, having been sent by the master to retrieve some equipment he needs to fix the hibernation modules. Joe and Hart accompany the doctor to the diving vessel, and Joe calls out a warning as one of the sea devils appears and points its weapon at the doctor. Episode 6 The doctor rushes at the sea devil and manages to knock it and another one out. However, a turret appears and incapacitates the doctor. Before it can kill him, the master arrives with more sea devils and orders the doctor and the others to be taken inside. Joe and Hart pick up the doctor and bring him back to Hart's office as throughout the base the other personnel are rounded up and placed inside one of the warehouses. Joe and Hart are locked into the radio room with Walker and the master informs the doctor of his plan to awaken all the Eocene bases throughout the world and says he needs his help to do it. The master has the doctor taken to the equipment storehouse and informs him that the reactivation systems on the hibernation modules have deteriorated. He says he intends to create a sonar relay that will reactivate them all at once and shows him the plans that he has drawn up for them. The doctor takes a look at them and says that they will not work and starts to rectify them, much to the master's delight. Meanwhile, inside the radio room, Hart tries to call for help but finds the power cut. Joe points out a ventilation shaft above their heads and says that she could get through it to find help. Together, they work to get it open, ignoring the panicking walker who tries to get them to stop, fearing a reprisal from their captors. He says that they should let the doctor deal with things, but Hart says that he is risking himself for them and they need to help. Joe climbs into the shaft and manages to get to the roof and climb down a fire escape. Unbeknownst to her, she is spotted by a pair of sea devils. Joe arrives at the storehouse and the doctor spots her at the window. He sends the master to find a piece of equipment and after he is gone, he goes to the window where Joe urges him to follow her. He tells her that he intends to create a distraction and that she will need to get Hart and his men free. She agrees and starts to head back to Hart's office but flees when she sees a pair of sea devils looking for her. She manages to evade them and get back to the office just as the doctor activates the master's device, which emits a high-frequency wave that causes the sea devils to convulse in pain. Joe manages to get Hart free, but Walker hesitates too long and ends up getting trapped again inside the radio room. Joe and Hart flee from the building and Hart picks up a rifle belonging to one of his dead guards. Realising that they won't get the other personnel free, they head to the shoreline where a naval horrorcraft is beached. 
Hart lays down covering fire as a group of sea devils stagger towards them, killing several of them whilst Joe gets the hovercraft started. They then head off to find reinforcements. Inside the storehouse, the Master manages to turn off the power, but doesn't realise that he has been tricked by the Doctor, as he attributes the noise to a mistake on his part. The leader of the Sea Devils arrives and asks if the work is finished, and the Master confirms that it is. He then asks if the Master wishes for the Doctor to be killed, but he says no as he can be of further use, and they all prepare to leave for the base. However, the hovercraft returns with a platoon of marines from one of the ships of the battle fleet, and Hart leads them in an assault on, to retake the base. The two Time Lords are sent back to the storehouse under guard as the leader summons the rest of his forces. The fighting is intense, but the Sea Devils suffer more casualties than the naval forces. An officer enters the storehouse, and the Doctor calls out a warning to him just in time, allowing him to kill the Sea Devil guard. The Doctor then leaves the officer to guard the Master whilst he goes to find Joe and Hart. However, the Master hypnotises him long enough to knock him out and escape. The Doctor finds Hart managing a flat gun, who tells the Doctor that Joe is back on the beach. As he goes to look for her, he spots the Master fleeing on a jet boat and he takes off after him, followed by the retreating Sea Devils who swim back towards their base. The Doctor manages to catch the Master after he beaches his craft, but his foe points to a nearby Sea Devil diving vessel and a squad of creatures approaching them. Back in Hart's office, Walker insists that they launch a nuclear strike on the base, but Joe says that they need to find out what happened to the Doctor. Blythe arrives and gives a report saying that the Doctor was spotted chasing the Master, and Walker states that this is proof of his treachery. In the Sea Devil base, the leader desires revenge and tells the Doctor that there can be no peace between the two species. The Doctor reluctantly sabotages the machine, and the Master says that they don't need him anymore. However, the leader orders them both to be taken away, with the Master demand to be let free due to the fact that he helped them. In their cell, the Master is adamant that he will be released when the leader sees that his device works. The Doctor reveals that he reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, which will cause a catastrophic energy feedback loop into the base's power system, resulting in its explosion. The Master calls out to be freed, but the Doctor says that he rigged the device so that it can't be switched off. The Master says that he will both die, but the Doctor says not if they escape together. He uses his sonic screwdriver to open the cell, and he hands the Master a deep-sea diving suit which was taken from the sub. Taking another one for himself, they head back to the underground harbour. Back at the base, the nuclear strike has been given the all-clear, and Joe asks Hart to do something to help the Doctor. With few options... Hart orders a hovercraft to be sent towards the base to see if there is any sign of the Doctor in order to rescue him. The hovercraft arrives just as the two Time Lords emerge from under the water, and once they are on board, it hurries from the area to avoid being caught in the nuclear strike. Before that happens, the base explodes due to the device overloading the system. This is relayed back to the naval base, as well as a request for an ambulance for one of the Time Lords, but no confirmation as to which one, much to Joe's worry. However, her fears are soon put at ease when the Doctor emerges from the hovercraft. He informs them of his part in the base's destruction, as well as the sudden illness of the Master. The ambulance crew emerge from the hovercraft with the Master's body on a stretcher, and they say that the Doctor inside the vessel said that he was dead. The Doctor says that there was no Doctor in the hovercraft, and looks at the body on the stretcher. He realises it is a mask on the body's face, revealing the hovercraft pilot underneath it. He looks back at the hovercraft and watches in helpless anger as the Master waves at him as he escapes again. End of the story. So, now that we've got our feet wet, it is time to come ashore <laughs> and we will go to our favourite spot in the world, the trivia spot. Okay, so trivia for the Sea Devils. So the air date of the story is the 26th of February to the 1st of April, 1972. 
The writer was Malcolm Polk. Oh, yeah, th- like what a date to finish the story on, you know. Especially, especially with that fi- finale. You think you caught me again? Haha, April Fools! And then he just drives <laughs> off in a hovercraft. The writer for the story is Malcolm Hulk. This is the sixth story that Malcolm has written for. His previous stories were the Faceless Ones, which he did with David Ellis, the War Games, which he did with Terence Dix, Doctor Who and the Silurians. He also contributed to the Ambassadors of Death in Uncredited Rewrites and Colony in Space. We'll see his work again in Frontier in Space and Invasion of the Dinosaurs. The director of this story is Michael E. Bryant. This is the second story directed by Michael. We previously saw his work in Colony in Space. And we'll see his work again in The Green Death, Death of the Daleks, Revenge of the Cybermen, and The Robots of Death. A lot of death. Michael also, <laughs> A lot of death. Michael also provided the voice of the radio DJ in episode two of the story. So the story had the working title, surprise, surprise, of the Sea Silurians. Basically, Barry and Terence wanted to have a sea-based story. And so they invited back Malcolm Hulk to write it. And instead of just bringing back the Silurians as they were in Doctor Who and the Silurians, he decided to make an aquatic version. A couple of differences. They look quite different, even though like the Doctor is always saying, like, I've met your people before and whatever they're clearly very different derivatives of yeah. the species um the sea devils look more like turtles yeah like they, they actually have kind of like the like fish or turtle eyes like at the yeah. side of their heads and a turtle like face yeah like a sort of beaky uh, turtle face they also wear clothes yeah which i don't get which the sailorians didn't uh that was a that was a last minute decision <laughs> to have them wear clothes they decided to not have them be running around uh naked Hmm. so um it was there's this last minute plan and so the poor costume lady had to go out and buy loads of basically fish netting Mm -hmm. and create all of these sort of over costumes which to be honest i like in theory i think the it being fish nets makes no sense yeah that's just too on nose it's too on the nose, but I like the color. I like the idea. I like the cut. I just don't agree with it being fish. I'd rather it be something like a seaweed type thing yeah. or, or something like that. But I, I like I like what she was going with. Uh, that was Maggie Fletcher who did that. If they did go with the seaweed, you do realize they'd look like the ghost of Samuel Arrow. Boogie, boogie, boogie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah, they I could do something mean. a bit more in yeah. theme without having to rely on fishing nets. So when Doctor Who and the Silurians came out, there was a little bit of backlash from the more informed fans in the audience, basically saying that the Silurians, as we saw them in that story, could not have evolved during the Silurian era. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't have worked. So that's why Malcolm included a line where the Doctor says they should have been called the Eocenes, which is a different period in Earth's history. Which still wouldn't have developed the advanced humanoid life that that he's going for. But he's like, yeah, we we heard your feedback. They're now Eocenes. Which I find interesting because when the Silurians appear in New Who, they still go by the Silurians. And when the Doctor first met them, he said, are you the Silurians? And they said, yes. I think it's a small bit of like the fluid nature of the continuity of who mm. but one thing i will say is that i love the concept of it where like 
okay, yeah, you have the land-based ones, which were called the Silurians, and then you have the sea ones, which are called sea devils, because it's just a, it, it's not an actual script. It's not. No, it's not. The, the it's not the actual species name. Yeah, it's just. A, it's just a, but like the fact that I think it's really cool that you know, much like our own evolution, you have different kind of view like different lookings of humanity based on where they yeah where they where they were originated from or, or yeah so like having like a sea-based uh, version having like uh the tunnel-based one you'd love to see like what ones would be like in the high mountains like there's an awful lot of room to play with here in terms of the evolutionary track for the eocenes yeah be interesting to see if we ever see that explored in more detail i think it'd be interesting yeah definitely so for the mind of evil we had mentioned how Barry Letts had gotten the Royal Air Force involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprise, surprise, this time, time for the Navy. Uh, <laughs> so he got the same deal with the Navy. So many of the extras were actually Navy personnel. They were active duty soldiers, or sailors rather, rather than soldiers. And the Ministry of Defense was eager to take part. Mm-hmm. To, you know, Again, probably seeing the success that the previous story had had. Shortly after broadcast, though, um, there was a visit from some senior officials at the Ministry of Defence because the submarine model that they used apparently was very, very similar to a submarine in development with some <laughs> top secret stuff on it. For fuck's sake. And there was a slight concern they had actually found out about this top secret submarine it was just they had a model like an off-the-shelf model of a submarine and they made a small tweak which has happened to coincide with what was being tested on this new submarine i i, I love like that they're essentially trying to like, use a recruitment for the royal navy you know sail the seven seas fight underwater giant sea turtles <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of location filming for the sea devils and we kind of discussed this last week that this story and last week's story were actually produced the other way around. Yeah. And I said that my theory was that there was so much to be edited for this story that that's why they were aired the other way around. Yeah. Also, the fact that there was so much location filming, they went like massively <laughs> over budget, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Mm. Which is why there's no incidental music for this. Uh, not in the traditional sense. Instead, the score, which is a sort of techno technological sounding thing i don't know how to, yeah. i don't know i'm not a music person how to it. it's like a synthesized keyboard just constantly yeah. on loop so that was created by the bbc radiophonic workshop but no one was really very happy with it and like malcolm clark who did the score said that he never really cracked what barry letts wanted him to do <laughs> like he didn't really like he never really got it to the point where he would have liked it and to be honest, I don't mind it. I prefer actual incidental music. music. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't mind it too much. In this story, we get to see a childhood favourite of many people who grew up in Ireland and the UK, and that is the Clangers. So there's a scene where the master is watching the Clangers on mm-hmm. telly. This was a last minute edition because the episode was 90 seconds short. <laughs> so they had to fill it with something. Well, I love, like, and we may, I don't know if you have this included later on. I hadn't, so I'm going to say it now. I love how he's so disappointed when he finds it that yeah. they're just puppets. And, like, it's, like, see, two things came into my head. Like, one is, like, you know, he's, like, oh, it's a very interesting, you know, 
uh, program about another life form. He's like, oh, they're just puppets. He's like, ah, yes, of course. And then he just goes, damn it. (laughs) But no, it reminds me of a scene in Bottom where uh, the two lads are like camped out in Wimbledon Common and they're starving. And he's like, you know, I wonder how much meat you get on a Womble. He goes, Eddie, they're just puppets. And Rosario goes like, no, no, they're, you know, Wombles aren't real. Because yes, they are. I've seen them on the television. And he's like, Eddie, would it scare you for life if I said they were just puppets? Yes, it would actually. All right, good, Eddie. They were just puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever oh. I think of the Claggers, though, I always remember. I can't remember because you and I talked about it before. I can't remember where we saw it or where we heard it, but the Claggers speak in whistles, which the master tries to imitate, which I just find so adorable. Hmm. But they were sort of whistling sentences as such. Um, and then one episode of the Claggers. There's like there's this door that's opening, and they do the little whistle so do 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 do, and it means ah shit the damn thing stuck again. <laughs> so, so, something like that. Like I can imagine like this is like you know a relative of Colin Meany like trying to get like his yeah. version. Was it the ash? It was like oh fuck it the damn thing. I, th- stuck I think again. it was, it was oh, something it. like that. It was, oh fuck it the thing is stuck again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is brilliant. So, I think part of the reason where that ninety seconds was meant to go. Hmm. is originally um, episode one was meant to include the Doctor water skiing which was meant to be the excuse for why they were late getting to the master's prison but the weather made it impossible to shoot. So it was possible there was meant to be 90, second, 90 seconds of John water skiing that they replaced with 90 seconds of the master watching the clangers. Personally, I prefer what we got. Yeah, because like, <laughs> I, I, I love John but Jesus Christ he's like a fucking automobile Oh, he's like a vehicle fetishist. It's just really like, a, like, I want, like, I need a big blow up of the scene. Yeah. Um. So again, we have another story where there is no TARDIS at all. Uh, also, we have an Earth-based story with no unit. Yes. So no unit, no brigadier. Reason that being, Nick Courtney was on holiday. So that is why unit and the brigadier are not in it. This story, we saw the only <laughs> full use during John Pertwee's era of reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. This is a phrase that I thought was used all the time Mm. because it's so associated specifically with John. He only said it once and that was in this story. Now he does say it again in The Five Doctors as a little bit of an homage to the fact that people associated with him. Mm. And he has also used just the phrase reverse the polarity several times. But reverse the polarity of the neutron flow was only said once during his run, and it was in this story. I think, like, was it the f- earliest I can remember him saying reverse the polarity was in the demons? You know, when I Sergeant, think so as well. When maybe he, maybe he says not... it a lot more after. Yeah, after this. Oh, I, I think yeah. Like, there's, or did he say it in the Silurians? I think he might have said it in the Silurians. What would he have been doing in the Silurians? I think it's when, um, you know, he's trying to repair the oh the, the, the overload the, yeah. the overload console, yeah. yeah. So, last week we mentioned Stuart Fell. Mentioned him again today. Uh, he nearly drowned in this story, which is sad and we shouldn't laugh. He fell over in the surf and his rubber monster costume filled with water. Which isn't funny. No, it's not. 
but I did laugh whenever I did. I'll be honest. Well, like, see, this is the thing. Like, you know, it's like with Stuart fell. Oh, how did he fall? And it's like, fuck this. <laughs> it's just one of those really bad. Like the same way, like you know, we shouldn't have really laughed at Terry Walsh getting hit by a fucking car. No. <laughs> I would always put the emphasis on that because that thing hits him at a fairly good pace. Yeah. Originally, the setting that the sea fort was actually meant to be an oil rig, um, but. Michael wasn't able to get permission to film on one, so they had to change it to the sea fort instead. Now, John has done a lot of stunts in his time, and he will continue to do a lot more. He did get hurt this time out, though. He injured his ribs when he dived forward and fell on his sonic screwdriver, (laughs) (laughs) which he kept in his breast pocket. I think this is during the bit that you and I were talking about before we started recording. Yeah, so if anyone's ever seen the movie Galaxy Quest, where uh, Tim Allen's character is like doing his barrel rolls on the mining planet, this is essentially what John did when he was like trying to like be very gentlemanly and like dive on top of the barbed wire coils for Joe. He first of all just like completely planks onto one of them and then he does like a shoulder roll onto the other one but it's just the funniest thing to fucking look at it yeah and and out of all the stunts he's done that was the one that hurt him because of his sonic screwdriver that was in his pocket and if anyone has ever like fallen to the ground while with their keys in their pocket you now know his pain (laughs) Uh, so the little jet ski jobbies that they use. Uh, those were originally meant to be speedboats, but John suggested jet skis instead, because as we've just mentioned, John is an adrenaline junkie mm-hmm. and likes anything with an engine, and Doctor Who was just a chance for him to play with his toys, yep, basically. So, at one point in episode one, Joe and the Doctor are climbing up a ladder mm-hmm. to get into the Sea Fortress. Now, I noticed this when I watched it, and I was like, this has to be in the it has to be in the trivia. Mm-hmm. That wasn't Katie Manning. Surprise, surprise. It was too slippy and Katie kept slipping. Mm -hmm. That was Stuart Fell, dressed as Joe. (laughs) So if you notice, Joe clings very tightly Mm -hmm. and sort of does a very weird sort of hoppy climb up the ladder and is constantly sort of looking down and into the wall as opposed to, you know, looking up. I imagine because looking up would cause the wig to fall off. Especially because like they're on location, and it's like as anyone knows, like when you're on the sea, it can get fairly fucking windy. Yeah, so he's just sort of like huddled up, like trying to climb up, and obviously keep his face hidden because it's him and not Katie Manning. What Katie Manning did do though is the little abseil bit mm-hmm. where they abseil. She did that. Uh, they basically asked her, "Can you abseil?" And she went, "Yeah." Had never done it before, and tore the skin off her hands. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! Uh, but her and John did that themselves. Lastly, according to Katie, and this is no surprise, the entire production came down with seasickness <laughs> while they were working on it, right? Which is no surprise. The only exception to that was John. Because as we discussed when John first started, John used to be a sailor. Yeah. He was lo- <laughs> and I can just imagine him like here, like, kind of striding around, like just eating bowls of chowder, which one everyone just continually getting sick. So on to our cast. So as Captain Hart, we have Edwin Richfield. So this is the first of two stories for Edwin. We'll see him again in The Twin Dilemma. His non-who credits include The Old Man, Interpol Calling, or 3, Harriet's Back in Town, and The Avengers. Edwin passed away back in 1990. 
As Colonel Trenchard, we have Clive Morton. This is Clive's only Doctor Who acting credit. His non-Who credits include Scott of the Arctic, Kind Hearts and Coronax, Lawrence of Arabia, and Armman at St. Mark's. Clive passed away in 1975. As Walker, we have Martin Bodie. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for Martin. His non-Who credits include The Third Man, Ivanhoe, Carry On Sergeant, Carry On Nurse. I can totally see him as a Carry On actor. Mm. Danger Man, Dixon of Doc Green, Zed Cars, Mogul, and Tales from the Crypt. Martin also passed away in 1975. Now, we have two characters that I'm just going to go through who plays them. We're not going to be discussing the characters really that much in the mm-hmm. character section. As Commander Ridgeway, we have Donald Sumter. This is the second of three Doctor Who acting credits for Donald. We'll see him again in The Wheel in Space. But most new Who fans will recognize him from Hellbent, where he played Rassilon. Mm-hmm. Donald was also in the Sarah Jane adventure story, The Eternity Trap. I did not fucking recognize him at all. And when Paddy Messer would be like, oh, there's two characters you're going to want to look into from a like trivia perspective. I was like, why? Why these people? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, it's him. Yep. His non-Who related credits include Zed Cars, Special Project Air, Hadley, The Children of the New Forest, The Brack Report, Curse of the Pink Panther, The Queen's Nose, and... Most non-Who fans will probably recognize him as Maester Lewin from Game of Thrones. Yes. Lastly, as Lieutenant Commander Mitchell, we have David Griffin. This is, again, the only Doctor Who acting credit for David. His non-Who credits include Zed Cars, Emmerdale Farm, Heidi High, Till We Meet Again, and the one that I would recognize him the most from, which is Keep Up Appearances. Yes. The minute I saw him, I was like, Emmet! Emmet! Ah. He wanted a quiet life away from the Navy. Then he re-enlisted after living next to Hyacinth Bucket. (laughs) (laughs) So, thank you very much for the trivia spot. We will now go on to the character discussion. So this is where myself and Trish go head to head. <laughs> no, uh, so we have. <laughs> you say that when we usually agree, like ninety. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. But Trish trying to like you know, anyone that is new to this will. I'm just trying to throw him off course. <laughs> um, so as always, we will have the Doctor, and then we will have the companions of Joe. Uh, I had initially put Hart as a prominent character, but would you put him as a companion, or would you keep him as a prominent character? I think he's borderline. I think for the sake of today, we can leave him as a prominent character. But I think he'd be like, because there's another prominent character you have as well. And yeah. those two prominent characters sort of drift in opposite directions. Yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. have Hart who drifts closer to being a companion. Yeah. And then we have Colonel Trenchard who drifts yeah. closer to being a villain. And then we have the unambiguous uh, master, the sea devils this time around, and Walker as well. Yeah. So, the man himself. You know, as soon as I saw the boat in the opening mm-hmm. scene, yeah. I literally wrote down, he's going to drive the boat. And he drove the boat. Yep. I was like, he, he's obviously going to drive the boat. Again, with the doctor here, right? I am confused by his dealings with the master. Mm-hmm. Now, you described that the doctor looked kind of defeated when the master left at the end. Mm-hmm. That's not the way I saw it. Because I saw the same fucking thing we saw in um, the fucking, the first one with the Master. Terror of the Autons? That's the one. Really? Um, He smirked. Did he? He did. 
I thought that was like a angry facial tick. No, it, I'm convinced it was a smirk. Because when the master, like, he pulls the mask off, he smirks, and he looks up. And he may get angry afterwards, but his initial response is like, oh, that sly devil. And I'm like, fucking seriously? Like, stop <laughs> having that reaction. So wait, are you are you talking about like the like the very last shot of him, or just when he discovers him taking, or when he discovers the mask? Well, I I don't, I don't I can't remember it specifically now, but it's like in that bit where he discovers the mask, takes it off, and then looks up, and the master is like slowly backing the fuck away in the hoverboat, or whatever, and there's a smirk in there. I'm like, stop fucking smirking! What the hell? Right, because like may- maybe there's like a smirk when he thinks like yo, as he's looking up towards the hovercraft, he's like, "How the fuck is he going to get away?" But then when he actually sees the hover, like the last, in my mind, the very last shot is him looking just fucking pissed off. Yeah, I I think the he may be pissed off at the situation as a whole, hmm. but the smirk was there that the master escaped again, right? Or the master played them again. Also, when you win a sword fight. Don't just hand your opponent back his sword and go for another round. What the fuck was the point of that? That's, though, to be fair, that's very first doctor. If you go back to the Romans, you know, where he clearly has the beating of the assassin and he still kind of wants to drag out the fight. No, that was fucking stupid. I'm sorry. They were fighting all around the houses, basically, right? All around the prison area. The doctor won, Mm -hmm. has the master at sword point, and then apropos of fucking nothing... Gives it back to him again. Mm. I'm like, either this man is dangerous or he's your buddy from when you were a kid. You can't treat him as both. Because it's not believable for those of us watching it. In fairness, though, um, I did like him for most of the story. That was weird. Um, the master of it. But nah, whatever. I thought we saw a lot of his good side. We saw a lot of him, you know, the technical guy, you know, building up things. We obviously saw the daredevil side of John mm. playing out. Again, great rapport with Joe this time around. Yep. Really, really liking it. I have an issue with the ending as a whole, though. Mm. He did exactly what the Brigadier did in the Silurians. He did the exact same fucking thing, knowing that the sea devils were being played by the master and there was possibly a greater chance of him being able to make peace with them by getting the master out of the way. And not only did he reverse the polarity of the neutron flow on this power supply, he said it with such a fucking cavalier attitude. Yeah. It just, it really shocked me given the way that he was sort of giving out to Walker about the military response earlier in the episode, and given the shit he gave the Brigadier back in the Silurians. And here, he just... A, he escapes with the Master. Again, their fucking dynamic is weird. I love Roger mm-hmm. and I John together, but like that's like, what the hell? Um, that really pissed me off. Because, like, this was meant to be, you know, the doctor saying, don't do what the brigadier did. And that's literally exactly what he did. With such a fucking cavalier attitude. Like, what the shit? 
Yeah, like so I also have very mixed feelings about the doctor on this one. Like is like on on one hand like it's initially it is great f- to see him jump at the chance to try and right the wrong of the Silurian incident. And like he seems so happy when the leader of the uh, the Sea Devils is it doesn't take that much convincing. Mm. And like I think it's a dynamic of the Sea Devils here in the sense of like there's no voice of dissension. Like, there's no, the young one, essentially. Yeah. They all seem to be following of the leader's thing, and his thing is, well, okay, let's have these talks. Let's see how yeah. they go. So it, that was a that was a nice moment for the Doctor. And, it, and like, John does appreciate his, the way he shows appreciation through the Doctor, mm-hmm. it's always great to see. It's always great to see the Doctor happy on something through John, I think. Uh, he's got great rapport with Joe, which is fantastic. His rapport with Hart is very much like his rapport with the Brigadier yeah. at the, in the early stages. Um, I, I'll i say now, I, I enjoyed the, the sword fight between himself and the Master because like, it was, I like it when the Doctor gets to flex his muscles a small bit. And it, it just kind of threw me back to the fight with the Assassin from the Romans. Oh, I liked the first half. Yeah. I just didn't like the fact that he won and then decided here fuck it let's keep going there's something very Dread Pirate Robertson and Ego Mantoya about that duel yeah but, but, but still I, yeah you know, like, no, I, 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 I get it especially when see but this is the thing with the Master and the Doctor's dynamic right is that initially they're built to be this very Holmes and Moriarty type mm. thing but, the, but then it becomes something different like, and I can't really think of off the top of my head like the only thing that just kind of sprung to mind was like Picard and Q. You know, Q is like a fucking pain in the hole, and like they have this weird fucking relationship dynamic type thing. You know, yeah, but, but the I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think the difference of Picard and Q is that like one's human, one's an omnipresent being. There's that, um, but also Picard finds Q annoying. Yeah, Picard would be completely content in his life if Q ceased to exist. Hmm. So long as it wasn't someone penalizing Q for something that Q didn't do. Yeah. Right? The difference here is we have someone who keeps saying how dangerous the master is. But who keeps giving him all these extra chances. And working with him on all these different fucking projects. Which I'll get to when we talk about the master properly. And here we find out why. Hmm. Because they used to be friends. I see. That's the thing is that he always gives the man, like, as you say, because they used to be friends. There's X amount of chances given towards him, you know. Mm. And we discussed last week with the uh, the, the Ice Warriors, you yeah. know how like he was immediately distrustful of them, despite the fact of, okay, you had encountered a f- frozen group first of all. Mm. And then you encountered a battle fleet. But you, again, you didn't really read the room this time around. Like, why are the Ice Warriors inside a galactic federation with someone like Alpha Centauri? And why, like, okay, I can understand you being a small bit wary of them. But kind of read the room a small bit. Mm. But it's just one of those things I think that's, it's like, it's carried on constantly through the Doctor-Master relationship. Yeah, and I don't know, like, I love John and Roger together. Hmm. I think that's great. It's just, I don't like how it plays out here. Hmm. 
Um, and I don't like how it plays out the same way every single fucking time. Um, uh, again, I'll get to that more with the master. Yeah. But um, I just, I wasn't yeah. a big fan of it. But I completely agree with you in the sense of, like, the Doctor effectively murdered the Sea Devils. He mur- he murdered them. Yeah, and, like, the, the thing that I was thinking about last night when I went to bed, I was trying to think of this going, how the fuck am I going to compare this? Because it, it's not like comparing apples and oranges, hmm. right? They are the same species, derivative versions of hmm. the same species in a very similar story, mm-hmm. just based at sea. I, while we obviously said that we didn't agree with the Brigadier's decision and we talked about whether it was actually the Brigadier's decision or whether it came from the Ministry or whatever, that was a measured response against a violent Mm. species that had unleashed a plague Mm. on humanity. They killed hundreds of people and would have gone on to kill thousands and millions of people had the Doctor not found the solution. And they did that with very little provocation. Mm-hmm. They just did it. Here, you have a similar sized group, all things considered, sinking ships in their area. Mm-hmm. Yes, those men are dying. That's terrible. However, it's kind of a control after that. So once the doctor becomes involved, it is a controlled tit for tat kind of dynamic. Mm. Do you know? They took the submarine. They launched an attack with weapons. They went and retaliated. They were going to launch another. It was this, you know, yes, it was scaling up massively on the human side. But from the the sea devil side, like, to wipe them all out because of this. When you gave out for yeah. them potentially not killing, they just blocked off the entrances. We don't actually know that all the Silurians were killed. They blew up the entrances. That's all we were told in that story. Well, There's, see, an, this... there's an implied effect that they were trapped in there forever and they'd never be able to get out. But like... <sighs> My thing is that like you can't be hypercritical of that, which is an understandable response, and this is your response here, like. Yeah, because like, see, this is the thing that was with the Silurians. My underst- my understanding is, and like, because we saw the damage that the the infrastructure of the caves seemed to collapse. Yeah. So therefore, any of the ones that would still be in hiber- their hibernation modules would probably die due to the damage done to their modules. Yeah. Whereas with the Sea Devils here, we're given the impression that this particular pod are all awakened. Yeah. And it's the global Eocene bases that are the, the next step. Now, knowing that the, they don't have the capacity to re, to reactivate their own people anymore, like the doctor, like, by all means, okay, blow up the base if you wish. But it's more in keeping with your character to tell them what you have done to give them a chance to escape. Yeah. And if he had done that, it's a it, it, that's a more doc that's a more doctor like resolution. Here he's done the exact same thing, and I, and I understand that there are only so many times you can reach hand out the olive branch 
and expect and like hope that they will go back on their word and here especially seeing as how from their perspective the humans have done nothing but attack them constantly yeah. from their perspective right but it's, it's more efficient with the doctor to let them know what he has done and they give them a chance to flee i think my biggest issue with it is the doctor repeatedly says the master is lying to you mm-hmm. he's not being honest with you and so on and so forth so the master is a pop-up master in this particular example the doctor cut the strings saved the puppet master and left the puppet to burn yeah he took the master with him and left these creatures who aren't innocent by any stretch of the imagination but who are probably more likely to be redeemable when they were perfectly amenable to peace the first time he fucking mentioned it um and he left them to die but he saved the master who has shown time and time again that he's a villainous asshole who wants to destroy the world yeah it's just like one of those things again like it's like if you take away their advantage if you take away their advantage you take away their home field advantage you take away their base effectively they have to come to the the talk table then because yeah. otherwise they're essentially they're not going to get anywhere because they can't reactivate the rest of their own people yeah and they don't have superior weaponry like they were no. they thought they're like they have force fields and yeah they can sink mm. ships but like we saw that the humans were the superior there yeah yeah, remove no, the master from the equation and they would have realized let's go to the table I'm going to be very interested uh, in the next episode hmm. if we see anything from this carryover the same way that we did with you know the doctor's attitude towards yeah. the master we fucking better Ava- or I'll be very odd yeah because you know, it was like last time in the ambassadors of death the doctor was still pissed off with the brig and now we've actually got confirmation that this was the brig's decision hmm because according to Walker's report, the Brigadier was the one who made the decision to yeah. blow the tunnels. So that question has been answered. And mm. it just opens up the wound all over again. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I think, yeah, we can agree here that this is very... This is an aspect of the Doctor we don't like. And it's no. very against the nature of the character that we've seen so far, you know? Yeah. On the flip side of the coin, mm. we have Joe. Another great outing by Joe. Absolutely. This is fucking brilliant. You can tell like that. You can clearly see that her time spent hanging around the unit motor pool has paid off. (laughs) She can drive a motorbike. She can drive a car. She can drive a hovercraft. Where the fuck did she learn to drive a hovercraft? Not only a hovercraft, but a hovercraft that size. Yeah. Because this one is like, it's a true Captain Hart couldn't drive the fucking thing. No. He's a troop carrier, like. Um, but like, she's great, like you know, like her fearlessness is completely on display here because like she has no qualms about sneaking around the hostile encampments of both like the the prison mm. and avoid those very well dressed guards. I mean, like, for fuck's oh, yeah. sake, they were wearing capes. I Trenchard takes care of his people. Is yeah. the way I would say that. <laughs> um. But yeah, so like that, and also like when she's sneaking around the naval base, when the sea devils are in control of it, mm. like Joe has, like obviously her experience on the um, the the colony in space, mm. like 
it's it's no more for like, alien life is no longer an issue for her, as we have seen so far. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting for her. Now, she says so. She doesn't address the the moral point of what the brigadier did no. in the Silurian incident. All she says is that she, he didn't put his own men's life at risk. So, like, that's a very, it's a very measured response. Now, I don't know whether that's, like, would it be, is it in keeping with Joe's character or if it was just the writing completely... Well, that Joe wasn't there. Yeah. Or so, like, Joe said that she'd read the report or mm. the brigadier had briefed her on it. Just, like, she was yeah. aware of it, but she wasn't actually there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, on paper... <laughs> It's probably a very understandable um, yeah. response to have, mm-hmm. um, and you know, but like, Joe get... has kind of shown in previous stories that she's not a big fan of the military response mm. anyway, even yeah. though she's part of unit. Right. But like, you know, but given like the fact that she's she's been around with the doctor now for so long, and you know, mm. she's obviously his retelling of events would obviously differ to the brigadier's retelling of events, and it's like you spend more time with the doctor now than you do with the lads in the unit. Yeah, you still have this very measured response of, I'm not going to address the moral side of that decision. All I'm going to address the, is the point that he didn't put his own men's lives at risk. Well, I said, in my opinion on that, she's not in a position to discuss the moral side of it because she wasn't there, do you know? And clearly, like, how about it? Joe has not interacted with the Sea Devils directly much in this story. Um, and I would chalk it up to she has not established an opinion. Yeah. But like compared to say like um, Day of the Daleks where she's just going off the word of and obviously like you know, she's, Well she went off her own experience. Yeah, experience with, yeah I suppose yeah. yeah. But she's not getting like the other side of the equation like whereas like with the Silurid incidents she probably had both. Well she didn't because the doctor only told her about it on the fort. Oh yeah, fuck it. He'd never told that. her about it before. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Fuck it. Forget that point. She so. only had the official line on it. Alright. Okay, forget that point so. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, what I do love though is like we see all her strong points here. Like you said, like, we see her fearlessness, we see her willingness to stand up for the doctor. Um, no matter who it's against. Um we see her lock picking coming to the fore. She goes crawling through vents, she's driving around all these different vehicles. There's no clumsiness and there's no one calling her an idiot. Yep. We went through an entire six episodes with no one questioning Joe's intelligence in the fucking slightest. Nope. And she saves him once at least. You could nearly chalk up like the attempted rescue of him at episode six to be a second time. Yeah, I mean, she she was there to get him out. That was the yeah. point. Yeah. No, he changed the plan, but that she had yeah. still gone there with every intention of it. And again, she was able to escape from her situation, and he wasn't. And one thing that I'm definitely going to say now, because we're two seasons into uh, Joe's or Katie's run, mm. is that whatever I may have said before about Joe being the something for the dad's character, mm. I completely take it back because she is she's definitely not yeah no she she is she is a character in the vein of the women that have come before her yeah i do like her outfit in this one though oh yeah like that that business suit is all business <laughs> uh, um but yeah no like so like my previous comments about them i completely take them back now after going through this rerun because 
again, my one-off memories plus you know comments about like the the era that it was made because mm. because you go from Liz to Joe, yeah, and the string of kind of characters that come afterwards, you can kind of see Joe as the precursor to that. But no, Joe is more in line with the people that have come before her. She's more in line with the Polly. She's more in line with Dodo to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what uh, what we see with Joe is we see development over time. Yeah, which definitely. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love just just as a final note here, um, we do still a bit see a bit of she's the doctor's assistant. She's the one who carries the passes. Yep, exactly. Because <laughs> he can't stand up bureaucratic nonsense. Yeah, which is my, also like fuck you, doctor. But like my last point is that she's very good at keeping her temper. Like as like you know, she never told the very very chauvinistic walker to like just like fuck off and get his own toast yeah although like poor Blythe we haven't discussed Blythe and we won't be discussing Blythe but fucking poor Blythe I like I was kind of hoping that you know Blythe would be almost like um the character from the faceless ones the the commissioner's assistant oh, yeah. yeah but um yeah no just unfortunately just that time wasn't there because yeah. like and as you said, she was a strong character in her own right, though. She was absolutely, she had some like, epic eye rolls, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But again, as you, I think to your point about, or not, um, no, I just think like there's an awful lot of potentially wasted time that could go towards character development, yeah. I'll guess that later on, all right. So, uh, moving along, we have the prominent characters of Hart and Trenchard. Mm. Uh, Captain Hart, at this at first I wasn't sure I was going to like him. And as the episodes went by, I really started to like him. He, he's the proto-break. I was like, did you go to the same school as Alistair Gordon left Bridge Stewart? <laughs> he must have. Like, he he yeah. doesn't put up a BS, but when presented with enough evidence, he will back you to the fucking lines. Yeah, and no matter how outlandish it is. Yeah, and when you consider the fact that like he and Trenchard are friends, mm-hmm. do you know, he doesn't ever... His knowledge of Trenchard comes up. Yeah. But he's never like, well, the guy's my friend, so don't say anything bad about my friend. Do you mm-hmm. know? He He's willing to listen. Uh, yeah. And like even that scene like where Trenchard comes like, and just starts like, talking about a golf tournament. And he's like, like, seriously, I have shit to fucking deal with here. And it's like, he's just been told about, you know, fucking undersea monsters mm. by the doctor. And he's not kind of going, here, come here, do you hear the shit that this lad is talking? No, it's like, look, I have a very serious thing to talk about here. Can I'll, you know, I'll discuss the tea time later, you know? Yeah. Um, I love how well he works with Joe. Yeah, that's great. Um, th- this is something that, it kind of more speaks to Joe, but it's like last week with um, Isler. Hmm. He doesn't demean her. He doesn't, he's not like, he's a bit protective of her. Like, you know, he's very careful with her, but not in a sort of demeaning capacity. No. And he trusts her and he's willing to let her take the lead where she needs to. And that that's completely exemplified in the uh, the scene where they, Joe goes out the, the ventilation shaft mm. and Walker's like, you can't let this little girl, you know, go off and do that kind of stuff. And he's like, no. well, I'm not going to fucking fit. And if she wants to go, I'm like, who am I to stop her type thing, you know? Yeah, and I sort of, like, if you compare it to the way, not the way the Brig treats her, because the, the Brig kind of treats her fairly well. He doesn't like her getting involved, like, in the way, in mm. military action, which is understandable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but like if you compare that to the way that Yates and to some extent Benton, Benton. treats primar- primarily Benton isn't Yates. as bad, but primarily, primarily Yates. Yates. Yeah. Like this is like Yates is also a captain, obviously different mm-hmm. military ranking because of different mm-hmm. whatever. But this is how she should be treated by her colleagues at UNIT. Yeah. It's nice I, to see her treated by someone in the military that way. I've always seen the Briggs thing. It's like, you know, you are not, a, while you're a member of UNIT, you're not an active member of the military personnel of UNIT. So yeah. therefore, you shouldn't be getting involved in the combat section of stuff. Yates, I think, just views her as a girl. Yeah. And, and Benton poor Benton does, is just very protective. Yeah. <laughs> um, Benton's too busy trying to fucking foist off Mrs. What's-Her-Face from oh, yeah. <laughs> Devil's End. Um, but no, like I, and another thing I like, or two other things I like about Hart is one, that he has no time for bureaucrats and their BS. Zero mm. time for it. And I love the fact that he leads from the front. Yep. He's the f- again. He's the fucking first one out of the hovercraft, leading the troops onto shore. He doesn't stand by the um, the hatch and hoist the lads on. He's the first one to take a knee and sets the firing line, and he tells the guys to go on for the flanking positions. He's the guy that mans the actual fucking flak cannon. I saw when he jumped into that. I was like, "Fuck it, go on, man!" So brilliant. Yeah. Like we just need an air force version of the break that we can just call the three musketeers or something, you know? Um, I also uh, love how he is a blithe. Um, yeah, you know the way he treats Joe isn't limited to Joe. Like Blythe is obviously his petty officer. No, no, she is. I think I was looking this up because I obviously I was calling everyone by their titles, yeah. but she is what's classic. I think they're called a Wren, which is Women's Royal Naval Service. Okay, um, I'll just um, it. But uh, basically, like he treats her like when she says. Yeah, when she uses her own initiative to A, raise things to his attention B, she called to prison herself mm-hmm. without checking with him. He doesn't berate her for it. He just, okay, you, you do you and you know, he listens when she gives him feedback and when she says that she's concerned um, which I think is lovely. Um, it's nice to see him in a position where he just respects everybody. Um, yeah, so she's classified as third officer Blythe, but mm. in the novelization, uh, she's called uh, RWN, so Wren, writer, instead of third officer Blythe. So mm. I, I'm i not really big into the naval side of things. Um, I always find it funny that a captain in the Navy, a captain outranks commander. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. The only thing I know about like Navy, the Navy, and having like you know, secretarial positions to a mm-hmm. base commander is from Jag. Yeah, and he had petty officers. That's all I know. <laughs> and like, I always, like, I always kind of completely overlook the fact that, technically speaking, in Star Trek, they're in Navy. Yep. Yeah, I always forget that. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed Hart, and it's kind of a shame because obviously he's going to be a one-off character. But it would mm-hmm. be great to see them. Like link in with the naval side of things at other stages and have Hart become a, a recurring character because I quite enjoyed him. So he was yeah, a really, he would be a great tie-in character to pop up every now and again. Yeah, even even just have his name mentioned. Mm-hmm, like the brigadier is like you know such and such is a like, get get that chap Hart on the line. Do mm. you know and just that you know yeah they work together and stuff. Let me have the other side of the coin. 
mm-hmm. which is Colonel Trenchard. Mm-hmm. Poor old Trenchard. He's an old officer wanting the glory of serving queen and country again. Yeah, that, no, definitely. That that's it. Like, this whole thing is, it's his one. He, he he's now a prison warden. And he just wants that one last moment of glory before he packs it all in. And I think that's why he's so easy to manipulate. Yeah. And like I I don't know if I love how he died, but I do love how he went out doing his duty. He mm-hmm. could have easily ran back to his office and left one of his men standing there to die. No. But instead he sent one of his men back and, and as- he stood there at the door. Gun pulled. Very good with his weapon. Bring yeah. in mind that, like, he didn't have a rifle or anything. He just had some. Like, he, had a revol- he had a revolver. Revolver. And he stood there and he did his duty. And as well, I love the fact it's not just any guard he sends back. It's the new guy. It's the yeah. newest guard on the roster that he sends to his office, which he says is the, has the secure line to the Ministry of Defense, which is a an easily defensible position. Yeah, and he sends that guy back, and like that was a nice touch, and it was like because leading into it, I think yeah, for the first three episodes, Trenchard could be in the villain camp. Yeah, but then in episode four, when it's like okay, the, the here's the the revelation or the the reveal of the sea devils, and then he starts asking questions. He's like, "What's going on? What's the true nature? Why didn't you tell me this?" So on yeah, and so like forth. he clearly got he clearly fell under the master's control, and one thing that. I don't think it's really quite clear is if the master convinced him purely based on charisma or if there was some level of hypnotism involved as well. Given given Trenchard's what I'm like determining to be Trenchard's nature, I I'm pretty sure it was just charisma. I think he played him and his as the doctor said mm. like you know his his patriotic streak played him like a fiddle. To yeah. Uh, yeah. Which which is which is sickening, like, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you can clearly tell that at every point, like, he has to go to the master for advice because this isn't who he is. No. He, like, the idea not... of keeping the doctor held prisoner, not letting him call unit, tearing up his pass, like, Trenchard is very much by the book. Give me your he... pass, I'll sign your pass. Like, that's who he is. Yeah. So for him to go against that took a lot and he, like I he's, said, he's not one that. for the cloak. And, he's not one for the cloak and dagger. No, no. And like that's the thing is like, and that's why I suppose that final last stand is mm-hmm. really reflective of him. Yeah, yeah. Because like he could have gone into the master's cell and held him hostage, used him as a bargaining chip or anything like that. But it was like, no, here I stand and here I stay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that's the thing, I think that's. And again, I'm really glad that we have the prominent character section because it's a disservice to call him a villain. Based yeah, on I think th- this is the reason why we have that section, I think. Yeah. And I think we've had a few characters in the past who have been in a similar position where they've been played by somebody else and whatever. I, I, but I don't I, think we've ever empathized with any of them as much as we empathize with him. No. like I think, what was it? The first character that kind of maybe brought this to the forefront was the squire from The Smugglers. Yeah, because we understood his viewpoint, and we were like, like you can't really call his, you know, change of heart and his acceptance of his fate to be like a heroic or like mm. a companion based thing. But nor is it still outright a villain. 
And then we had Clint in the Ice Warriors, and we were like, well, we can kind of see where he's coming from. Like, he's not a, it's just his ego is running rampant. Yeah. And then it was, yeah, but like, I think this is the first time you can really empathize with a prominent character and keeping him out of that villain side of things. Yeah, very much so. But we do have some people who are out and out villains. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with the human one and work yeah. your way up the chain? So yeah, we'll do Walker first, and then would you go Master and Sea Devils, or Sea Devils Master? Well, who do you think is the ultimate villain in the piece? Probably the Master. Mm, yeah. So yeah, okay, Walker. Jesus Christ, stop eating toast, you fat prick. So, Also, I have what a prick. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not just a prick. He's a patronizing, condescending, arrogant, overindulgent, cowardly prick hmm. fuck you he is sir henry simerson yeah like yeah fuck you 110 percent. so because i didn't want to bog the recap down in it he strides into hart's office and immediately starts treating blight like his own personal servant he tells her to go get his breakfast he's like oh where's that chap hart he goes into the radio room he's like oh who are you and what do you do because, oh, I'll call Hart back. By the way, where's my breakfast? Oh, by the way, I, I wanted something simple. I want, you know, kind of like fucking pat short. Bacon and eggs and toast and... Yeah, like that blah, blah, type blah, of stuff. And, mar- and, 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 and thick crust marmalade or whatever. And then, like, as he's talking to Hart, he's, like, continually eating and he's, like, tea and, like, getting Joe to give him the sugar. And it's like, oh, you know, where's the toast and all. I, it just, there's never consumption of fucking toast. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, he used to go to Tony's and have the, the Godfather breakfast. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, oh, stop. Now I really want that. <laughs> um, um, but I just, oh, I fucking hated him. Like, he reminded me of Chin from The Claws of Axos. Mm. But he's a bit more competent. And my mind, he's a bit more dangerous. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he went to, like, Chin. Chin was very much the England for the English yeah. fucking shit. Whereas Walker is very much for queen and country. Yeah, at one point he quotes a verse from God Save or God Save the Queen to fucking back up his stance. Yeah, and then he also does the, what I can only think of as the Klingon battle cry of, um, oh, what the fuck is this? Cry Havoc and Let's Slip the Gods of War or whatever the hell it is. Oh, yeah, Cry Havoc Let's uh, Let's Slip the Dogs of War. Yeah, yeah uh, Christopher Plummer's like, yes. um, which I... I know that it's Shakespeare, but I just think of it as a Klingon battle cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Do you know? He was brought in from the ministry. Do you know? Come in. Get it cleaned up. Nope. Nope. We ha- we have the firepower. We're going to go there. We're going to blow them up. Call it a day. And then I'll get to go have my dinner. And more toast. Mm-hmm. What I think makes you hate him even more, though, is that when he encounters the Sea Devils, he becomes a total coward. Like when Joe mm. breaks them out of the room. Yeah. He, like the sea devil is clearly in pain. He won't run past it. And he runs back into the room and closes the door. So they never, they know that he didn't try to leave. Yeah. And he's just like, and it's just like, oh, oh, oh. And like, Christ, like it reminds you of like your man. But then ben. afterwards, oh, we're going to nuke them. It's like, yeah. where's it this reminds- bravado a while ago? Like, it reminds you of the character of Benny from The Mummy. 
you know, who are just like, you know, he's too afraid to fucking do anything. And then I love how he tries to hang everything on the doctor. Like, oh, the doctor said that he'd be the one to open negotiations. Don't forget that. And like, you know, he'll, and it's like, well, you gave him permission to go down. Yeah. Toast eating prick. What I, what I love as well in some respects is Walker isn't military. No. And you can tell that all the military people that he interacts with fucking hate him. Hmm. Because he is willing to let sailors die for him to be able to say that, oh yeah, I went out there and all the day's work got it sorted and off we home for tea. And like, he kind of reminds me of like characters, like, like, any ream of characters that we saw in Sharp that are that by their promotion within the military. Yeah. Also, people like Senator Kinsey in Stargate. Yeah. And like, I remember, I think it's, it's in Politics, which is an episode that I quite enjoy watching, even though mm. it's a clip show. I think one of the guys from Get Into, uh, Get Into Gate, mm. I think it's uh, Matty, also mm. likes that episode. Everybody <laughs> fucking rags on him for it. Um it is a clip show done well, though. Yeah, it's very clip show. I think it's done great. But like he, um, Kinsey says, or oh, even though positive medical reasons robbed me of the privilege of serving my country, you know, he's and it's like it's this fucking full military patriotism type of shit. That's just like right. you're a bureaucrat. You cannot possibly understand what these guys are going through. You cannot possibly understand the consequences of the decision. You, you see. There's a whole thing of like, okay, acceptable ca- collateral damage, acceptable losses. It's like, who are you to make that a fucking assumption? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Fucking prick. Yeah. Um, I always, like, I always fucking hate that. Like, it's like, okay, like, you know, in certain scenarios, very military people are very gung ho, and it's like, yeah, these casualties are fucking acceptable. But here, I think Hart is a very measured, like, he is like a, he's a military veteran. He's very measured in his stances and it's like if we can get my men out without fucking this type of thing hmm. who what what else can we potentially stop or what can we save and it's like no no fuck it launch the missiles it's you know they'll take their chances hmm. so now we have the sea devils i like their design better than the silurians and they don't make that weird annoying noise with a, a phantom third eye that these creatures don't have <laughs> Uh, I like that they have weapons. <laughs> they very clearly have a weapon. It's not part of their body. Yeah. Um. I like their design. I wish the mouthpiece was a bit better, though. Yeah. Because um, they do do the whisper talking, but the mouthpiece doesn't move in mm. time with it, which is a little bit distracting. I also think that the Sea Devil's response is much more measured. So if you imagine, and I haven't read the, the, the novelizations, it's maybe different, but... They're waking up from their hibernation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And whether they were woken up by the fort being reactivated or whatever, they're waking up, right? And so they're seeing all of these ships passing over their territory and they are sinking them. Mm-hmm. Because what the fuck is that? Yeah. And they. It's the thing of when the doctor presents peace as an option. They're like, do you think they would? Yeah. Okay, so. Cool. We may have been a little bit overzealous. Hmm. Let's have a conversation. And as he goes like, you know, he goes uh, to the master, you said that uh, man is weak. He says man is strong. 
let me think on this. And there's a part in it that I really, really enjoy. It's when he say, he gives the doctor, he says, you will go and speak of peace. And he holds up his hand in the greeting. Mm. And like the, the, that the doctor had with the leader back in uh, the Silurians. I like, well, I really what I like here part. is I wasn't ever sure if there was a little bit of telepathic communication with that. Because if you notice, when the master does it, the master wears his gloves. Hmm. I actually because didn't read it. I didn't, at one I point, the sea devil goes behind the doctor's head. He puts his hand into the doctor's hair a little yeah. bit. Yeah. As if he's reading him. He's like, he's being truthful. Yeah. Do you know, he's sensitive ma- design deception. Whereas when the master makes physical contact, there's a barrier between them because he's wearing his gloves. And he kind of recoils from it as well. So, mm. yeah, maybe that. Actually, I didn't actually uh, factor that in. Um, but I did think it was interesting, like, I suppose, because this time we have the master as the shitster compared mm. to like you know the divergent groups within the silurian uh species in the silurian yeah. story so i actually i thought it was kind of cool in the sense of like you know we'll follow our leader regardless of what his decision is yeah and it's a, the thing i like about the sea devils versus the silurians is, like, is because their response is more measured hmm. like if the master wasn't there they would just kept sinking ships to get them to fuck off and leave them alone yeah um and obviously they don't want the fort being active mm-hmm. um for that same reason but like they didn't attack anyone on land until the master made them mm-hmm. yeah whereas okay. the silurians you know like you said the the negative factor in silurian society came from within mm-hmm. their scientists developed the plague yeah they at least one of their members, or two of the members, if you include the scientists himself, chose to release it for no fucking reason whatsoever. They had well, interrogated one guy. Yeah, but it, I suppose it was the old, um, the old, you can even call it a racist viewpoint that man is essentially an ape. Well, yeah, but if you think, that's what I mean, like, the Sea Devils is much more measured. Yeah. Do you know, they... As they listen to their leader. There's no dissent there. Yeah, and even what they did was more measured. Yeah, in response, and, and even like the um, I suppose you could say like, well, there is that same level of prejudice from the sea devils towards mm-hmm. humanity. There's still there's that willingness to go to the table. Yeah, and even like if you imagine once the master got involved, like when mm-hmm. they sunk the submarine, they mm-hmm. didn't kill those guys. No, they yeah they they, they kept, kept them captive. Uses. Yeah, but they also gave them freedom to play cards, and do yeah. whatever. Um, it makes you wonder, how, like, if the master wasn't there, how would that have naturally played out? I have, I have a suspicion that without the the X factor of the master, hmm. you could see almost like a eocene version of planet of the apes where there is some sort of coexistence yeah. for a period of, for a period of time hmm. who knows what happens then because obviously the sea devils they're capable of living in the places where humanity can't live yeah. whereas we've seen in any like in lots of forms of sci-fi we have the human race has a tendency to expand even into regions that aren't technically habitable yeah so how long before they piss off the silurians so one thing I know is that we know we see the Silurians again. Mm-hmm. Um, I made mention of that in trivia. I don't know if we ever see the Sea Devils again. 
And we if do, we don't, do we? We do. There's a fifth Doctor story called Warriors of the Deep where the two races are there together. Oh, cool. That's good. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to seeing them again. Um, um, I think they're interesting. Yeah. Um, no, don't I, be I, spoilers. I, I won't. I, I, I can barely remember it. Hmm. Although I do think the seat that was like a small bit weirder, but that's probably budgetary costume reasons. Hmm. Uh, two notes that I have here, outside of what we just talked about. I, still, I think it's a very interesting design choice to have the sea-based ones wearing the clothes, while the land-based ones, like, they're wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing, nothing at, at all. all. Stupid, sexy Silurians. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, now again, you pointed out, like, the, um, the weaponry that they have. I actually mm-hmm. think it's pretty cool, like a fucking yeah, heat, uh, heat dish. And, again, I don't know if it's the intent... But obviously they said that they evolved along a different track based on the fact that they were in the sea. Maybe the fact that they don't have the third eye thing is because your uh, actual internalized heat beam wouldn't work underwater. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like, I, I, I actually enjoyed the Sea Devils. I thought they were a really cool concept. So uh, I'm interested in seeing them again. Yeah. Um, cool. They're also, like, obviously I don't know what they look like in the fifth Doctor story. Um I we've obviously seen the Silurians in New Who. I mm. would be interested in seeing the Sea Devils in New Who. What would they do with the design, you know, with modern technology and stuff? Um, I suppose we'll just have to see because, as far as my memory goes, I wasn't a huge fan of the Silurians in New Who. Neither was I, but th- yeah, the point. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, but I suppose we'll, we'll eventually get there. Yeah, but yeah. Bring back the Sea Devils. Well, I was I was going to say Tribunal, but it won't be Tribunal. It'll be Russell. So bring it back, Russell. <laughs> um, cool. And so finally, we have the Master. I really like Roger Delgado. Yeah. I really like the Master. As a character. Hmm. I am sick to shit of seeing the exact same story with him every single fucking time. He uses another species in his schemes. He needs to get the doctor to help him at some point, and then the other species double crosses him. And it's like it, that's the thing. I'm going like I completely agree. It's like, will you please get it through your head that to these other alien races that you're using, you are effectively a human. They don't care. They don't care because half of them don't know what fucking Gallifreyan is, mm. or. Sorry, forget that. Expunge that, name. Expunge that name. <laughs> you don't know what a Time Lord is. Um, for, the, to you, to them, you're just from a different country on the mud ball. That's all yeah. it is. So please, like, and stop being so shocked when they double cross you after you intend to double cross them. Stop it, please. Yeah. It, it, it demeans us all. Like, I am now convinced, right? Mm. He wants the doctor to be his lab partner. But he's afraid the doctor will say no. So yeah. he needs to come up with these grand schemes that the doctor will play labs with him. Let's be friends again and make cool shit. And yeah, that's what do. he wants. He's afraid if he asks outright, the doctor will say no. So he has to come up with these more and more elaborate schemes that they can work together. Like, <laughs> he's a very shite angel, or sorry, devil on the shoulder when the angel has just packed it in. <laughs> it's, you think you've got an open goal and you keep fucking missing but uh, like please I love Roger though I love Roger as the master I just hmm. we have seen we saw this story every story last season mm-hmm. I don't need to see it again 
Yeah. I've seen it already. Like, I want to see, and like, in fairness, like, jumping massively forward in the timeline, the doc or the master has been known to use other species, like mm-hmm. the Toclopane, for example. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're not seeing the master's intelligence that we know is there. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, like, he's meant to be the sort of, like I said, it's meant to be the Moriarty. Whereas he's coming across more like fucking, I don't know if he, we even have d- an analogy. D- d- he's coming across more like dictatorly. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I want you to be a Moriarty. Be Moriarty. Stop being dictatorly. Or like, you know, it's just, oh. Also, like, in episode one, right? He mm-hmm. clearly knows when that camera is on. Yeah. And that whole thing about that young officer going in and getting hypnotized and not actually being hypnotized was clearly all fake. Mm. Because he knew the doctor was there and he knew that that would be asked. And that was clearly all planned in advance. Right? He wasn't actually trying to hypnotize that man. Mm. How did he expect the doctor or Joe to believe that he was a changed man when they walked into his cell after they just watched a video of him trying to hypnotize someone not five minutes prior. Yeah, no. Like, Malcolm, I love you. You're creating interesting characters. But Jesus Christ, man. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Please just stop. Yeah, the- so, like, my thing is, love the master. Hate how he's used. Hmm. Yeah, like it's just like he's really coming across as dictatorial, just very incompetent. And he just keeps getting away every time. But the one thing that I did think was a new feature of the master was his softer side with the claggers. Mm. He just seems so disappointed. That was sweet. It was yeah. very cute that he was trying to whistle along with them mm-hmm. <laughs> and clearly learn their language, <laughs> oh. which is just a whistle. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he seems so like, you know, this is the only interesting thing about this planet. It's not even fucking real. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Boo-urns. Boo-urns, I say. Oh, poor thing. So, we have done our story summary. Thank you. We have done the trivia. Thank me, and we have done our character discussion. Thank us. Oh, we shall we shall all wait while Trish pat herself on the back. <laughs> I can read. Yay! Um, now it's on to our overall. So in this section, we give our thoughts on the story as a whole, mm-hmm. and we give it a scoring out of five. Now, for context, this season has been an interesting start. Day of the Daleks, two point five from both of us. Curse of Peladon, five. From both of us. Patty, I'm going to hand it to you first. Where is this on the scale? Right. I honestly have very mixed feelings about this one. Mm. Right. I really enjoyed the concept. I, I, as a bonus, I really enjoyed the sea devils. I think they're Mm -hmm. great. I, I love when the lore, I love when a recurring race, now I know the sea devils are technically new, Mm. but they're part of the same like hub group. Mm. And I love when the lore or the capabilities is expanded upon. As anyone that has heard my first or first four Dalek stories will have mm. fucking known for me. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what we'll get the next time we see them. Okay. Great showing from Joe. 
another real good strong contender I think for her rambling mm. um, and it's great to see the consistency in her writing uh, great performances from the supporting cast mm-hmm. Walker really made me fucking hate him yep. uh, Trenchard as I said made me really sympathetic like I really kind of even going when we were talking about him there, I'm like, oh, now he's gone. And he <laughs> quickly, so, someone sing, you know, on, on England, on England's green and pleasant hills for him. Um, he's playing golf in heaven. He'd be fine. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, so like, and as we said, seeing the naval version of the brig and Captain Hart was fantastic. It was really good stuff. Things I wasn't a fan of. Are the master's inability to learn from his repeated past mistakes and fuckovers. Mm. Like, just stop it. I wasn't a huge fan of the music. I actually wrecked my head and it took me out of things a fair bit. I liked it at certain moments. I didn't like it all the time. Like, I thought it was unnecessary for the sword fight. I thought it was unnecessary for the any sneaking scene. Because it mm. actively ruins the suspense. Yeah. For for me, I think. It's like, okay, are they all walking around on the fucking keyboard from Big? Yeah, I mean if you compare it to last week, where mm. the fight between um uh Grun and the Doctor Grun and the Doctor, there was no music. Mm-hmm. No. Now, in my head I was doing the obviously. But <laughs> there was no music. Mm. And I think there were bits of this that would have benefited from silence be comfortable yeah. in the silence yeah. like this is like there is this is nowhere near the level of last chance fucking saloon no, or whatever the no. fuck it was called um but it 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 actually took me out of parts because i was like for fuck's sake can you not just let the suspense build mm. can you not give it the, uh, that bre- breathing room um and lastly the doctor's handling the doctor's resolution of the issue mm. like I didn't like, I'm just trying to think, another mass extinction event, you could say, mm. that he took part in was the Seeds of Death. Yeah, and it's like, okay, you've you've saved humanity, and you're resigning yourself to your own fate, but you have just condemned an entire fleet to a very slow and painful death of either starvation or burning to death through the sun. Mm. Wasn't a big fan of that. No. Um, here, neither was the doctor though in that one I think there was more remorse in that one probably yeah but I, that's like maybe that's after he, he survived mm. but it, 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 it kind of stuck in my craw then um, because I always say that there's that's an anger that's a resolution usually reserved for the Daleks Yeah, that he, above all other races the Daleks are the ones that he will not give the olive branch to and here, this kind of goes against that. It's like he didn't give them a sporting chance, and he just said he was very cavalier about the whole thing. We've seen him be very. We've seen him give the sporting chance to other fucking people. But so why not here? Yeah. And yeah, it it just really fucking rubbed me the wrong way. So I've given this. There, even though these are points that I did not like, there's still an awful lot I did like about it. So I'm giving it a three point five. Okay. I also struggled, and I am still actively struggling, and I'm hoping that by the time I get to the end of my bit, I'll come up with a score. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Did I like it? Yeah. Did I love it? 
No. What did I like? The Sea Devils are cool. I like them. I thought that they brought a lot to the story. Mm-hmm. The production value was great. We had another fantastic outing from Joe. Supporting cast, I think. I think I'd put this on our list of great supporting cast. I think there there wasn't a dud in the bunch. The two the two the two lads in the submarine that we mentioned in trivia, mm-hmm. they were great. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Um your man and his number one, they were fantastic. Um that was all great. I love the idea of I actually like the idea of Silurian's take too. Mm-hmm. We have the option to have this same thing again. How do we deal with the situation this time? Mm-hmm. What I didn't like. How we dealt with the situation this time. <laughs> yeah. The same way we fucking dealt with it last time. In a more hypocritical fashion. Also, I think the production value was almost too good. There was so much time spent showing off all the fancy toys. They're like five different types of fucking boat they have. The footage of the submarine. The weird, first of all, that diving bell thing. Mm-hmm. That is my worst fucking nightmare. Okay, submarines, also they're my worst nightmare. I'm claustrophobic and I have a fear of drowning. So, like, a tiny enclosed space. Mm-hmm being lowered to the bottom of the ocean where I do not have the power to get it to go back up. The sea devil one must have been fucking way worse for you. Yeah. Fuck no to all of that. Um, Like, watching that made me mm. anxious and uncomfortable. Right? That's just my own phobia. Whatever. But they were, play- they were showing off all these amazing toys when they should have been developing character. And they weren't. We had great characters, that's true. But it almost felt like we had great characters in spite of how much time was spent on everything else rather than because of the time that was given to them. Mm. You know, like Trenchard, for example. You know, he was a great character, but we didn't actually spend that long with him when you think about it. And this is something with John's stories where there's so much hype and so much spectacle I'm like, cool, I don't need to see another fucking chase scene. Like, I really genuinely don't. Um, I don't need to see two fucking minutes of the battleships preparing to fire. And then of the battleships actually firing. I know it's great production value. It ages very well in comparison to, like, model work and whatever. I almost would prefer the models. Do it quickly and snappy and move the fuck on. With the actual character dynamics or whatever. The main issue... Were you saying something? No, like I was going to say like that. Some Sometimes, like, for example, now, the warehouse fight scene from Ambassadors of Death. Yeah. That's, that, that's perfect. That's, that's fantastic. Perfect. It's, it's, it's good. And I would not take it out for fucking love nor money. But I think, that, yes, the repeated shots of the battle fleet moving into thing. Yeah, no. From a recap, how point long of view, did it take the fucking submarine to dive? I know submarines take longer; yeah, they don't yeah. just go foomph. But like, how long they held on the submarine diving? How long they held on the submarine coming back up? I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ! Let me see character, please. From a recap point of view, it's great on my fucking hands because you know I have yeah. less to type. But yeah, no, I agree that it would be like I would have loved to have seen Blight develop this a small bit more. Yeah, or like Joe and Blight teaming up. 
Yeah. Because we don't know what happened to Blythe when they got captured. Where the fuck did she go? She just disappeared. Yeah, like, I think it's weird that her and the radio operator were taken out of that building and yeah. potentially put with the rest of the personnel rather than just being locked in the radio room. Yeah. With, yeah. And, like, that radio operator guy, he was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my big issue with it, though, is, and I'm going to channel my, our friends over at Mission Log, what was the moral here? Hmm. What, what's the moral of the story? Military is bad. Sneaky scientist who's trying to save his friend is good. It ended the exact same as the Silurian, except with a little bit of a grin, rather than with the sadness. Like that was the thing in Silurians was his utter devastation of what happened to them, hmm. his betrayal, and Liz's devastation of what happened to them. And that small moment where he thought that Liz knew that that's what they were going to do. Yeah. Like, that hit you right in the heart. And this time, you know, the humans are going to attack them. Not if the base blows up. What? Oh, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow on the power supply. It's going to blow up. Like, And, and that's, that's all he says. Yeah, again, that is an attitude reserved for for either the Daleks or when you give him a chance to fucking get it free. But also, like, he was giving out about, like, oh, you and your nuclear deterrent and, like, the same way he'd give out to the break. You know, like, oh, like, all your weapons and, like, blah, blah, blah. At least they were honest about it. Hmm. At least the humans were honest in their attack. They didn't sneak up behind... They didn't imply they were helping them. They didn't try to earn their trust and then stab them in the back. Because that's effectively what he did. Mm-hmm. He was trying to earn their trust. That didn't work, so he escaped. But he still, you know, was like, you can trust me or whatever. He put his lot in with the master, who now, from the Sea Devil's point of view, he's going to help them revive their species. Mm-hmm. The master said he's helping him. He's working on the technology. And he stabs them in the back. He doesn't do anything to try to preserve them as a species. He doesn't do anything to try and preserve their culture or whatever. He's just like, well, the humans are going to nuke them. I know, I'll blow them up instead. Because I am God and I can make that choice. And when I make that choice, it's the right choice. But when they make that choice, it's the wrong choice. Yeah, they're, and it, it's again, the, the sometimes narcissistic nature of the doctor, mm. which is now, while you were talking, mm. I managed to find the still of the last shot mm. of the episode. Yeah, and I've just sent it on to you there on uh, Hangouts. Mm. Yeah, but like. That's the last shot, right? Which is him kind of going. Hmm. Yeah. So that that's that's what I reference in the the recap that when he sees the master actually escaping, it's that fucking frustrated anger. But when he pulls off the mask, no, trying to remember back, I think there is a sort of a oh, you think you got one over me type fucking look. Yeah. Um. But like, 
he rescued the master. He, he, yeah. He condemned the species to death and he rescued the master. I'm like, I'm sorry. So when I was watching this story the whole way through, I was like, oh, it was about 3.5. Then one too many scenes of warships preparing. Is it okay? Maybe a three. And then, no, I'm going to go with what I wrote. I gave it a 2.5. Hmm. It seems so completely against character. It is a bloated story that doesn't need to be. And I think it's a story we've seen. It's two different stories that we've seen before. And it was done better. Those times. Like, I think probably in terms of bloat, you could have probably knocked it down to a five parker. Yeah. I, I don't think I like I, I can't see enough to be cut from it to make it a four parker. But no, probably a but five. A five. Um, it's strange that both Siluric or Eocene based stories make me sad, but in very different ways. Mm. Um, and like, yeah, like it was we always we always talk about when we're struggling to make the score and we're trying to go, like, no, like you go with what you feel. Mm. And for the most part, I do enjoy the story, I just fucking hate the resolution. Like, bear in mind as well, 2.5 is halfway. Yeah. Now, we consider 3 to be an average. Yeah. So, it is below average, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that's just my take on it. Do you know? Um, If you're someone who likes the Navy, you probably fucking love it. (laughs) All the ships. Navy rules. Army (laughs) drools. Yeah. Because they're more fucking effective. Like, they take less casualties than the guys in unit do. So... Um, um, I imagine I, they also have more experience at their jobs than the guys in the unit do. I noticed something there, and I'm just going to go into our scores because so Malcolm Hulk seems to have a pattern with us mm-hmm. either that we are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum or we're dead fucking in sync. Mm. We're never like in that sort of weird middle ground where it's like yeah we like it's not bad but it's not terrible so yeah I mean, if we look at his previous stories so okay faceless ones we were far apart on that yeah where's we're faceless ones yeah so you gave it a two i gave it a 3.5 yeah war uh, games we both gave it five we both gave it five uh, silurians we both gave it five, five. Ambassadors, ambassadors i give a four you give a 3.75 yeah Colony, Colony that was our big... That We were really fucking far apart on that one. <laughs> That's the biggest one to date. And Ambassadors, we're, we're pretty kind of on sync, because like a, two, like a 0.25 yeah, isn't the hugest thing. So here, I think, yeah, like we're like we're one apart. So is this that Front, time when Frontier it, and Invasion are going to be interesting. Very fucking interesting. Because you've never seen Frontier. I haven't. I, I don't know how many times you've watched Invasion. A few. Yeah, so uh, Frontiers also again it's tinged with a bit of sadness because that's Roger's last one. Yeah, but yeah, so um, yeah, like kind of as you were saying at the start, like let's see where this one lands in terms of the (laughs) the quality of the stories for the season because you know so we're what are we now at the moment? We are 3.33 is the average for the season. That's my yeah. average. Your average is 3.67. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that five is really holding strong. Mm-hmm. So, next week, 
we will be encountering the mutants. Do question. Are we recording next week? No. Yeah, so we'll do that That's true. Again. Next week, I am meeting several doctors. Who are you So meeting? there will be no show next week. I am meeting Peter Davison, Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, and Paul McGann. And who else are you meeting? I'm also more than likely meeting Admiral Adam and President Rosalind, which is like <laughs> the best. But also, uh, torture people are going to be there. So basically, no show next week because I'm going to Wales Comic Con. Yay. Hooray. But I will share pictures and stuff um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. And if you could do me a, f- a solid and if you could find uh, Kenny Omega's table and walk past and just call him a bitch, <laughs> that would be perfect. Will he appreciate that? No. Then no. <laughs> Thought you were my friend. <laughs> I'll uh, tell John Barman you said hi. Okay. All is forgiven. <laughs> so yes, in two weeks time, where are we going? We're going to the mutants. Ooh. And like and I it, said, it'll be a case of... <laughs> Although I think it's different types of mutants. Oh. I haven't Ooh. seen it, so I don't know. You have. <laughs> I, I have, and I have two memories of it. So it'll be a very interesting perspective. Do either involve like a bald man in a wheelchair? There's a bald guy in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that much. No wheelchair at all. Dang it. Yeah. Okay, guys, we will talk to you in two weeks. So, bye.